right, good morning, Trinity Church. Well, I should sit down. Um, my name is Hilke. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it is truly a privilege to share from God's Word this morning. But uh, before we get there, how do you teach a kid to ride a bike? You know, if you're um, a parent here in the room, uh, even if your kids are you know, old and out at home and they're all grown up, um, you probably remember teaching your kid how to ride a bike. If you've got you know, two or three-year-olds, I'm about to give you some really good practical instructions. You can thank me later. Um, here's kind of what we did. I've got three kids, and they all ride their bikes successfully, so that's good. Um, but you have like a two-year-old, you get him a tricycle. It's got the, you know, the radio flyer special, and um, that works out pretty well. Then they grow a little bit older, and then for their birthday or Christmas, you get them their, their first, like, legitimate bike. And, but, of course, it's got training wheels, right? Because otherwise it'd be a disaster. And, um, but, but they love it. They're cruising around. They're, they're three years old. They're four years old. Uh, they, they love riding their bike. But then they, they grow a little bit more. And then it's time to take off the training wheels. And as a parent, especially the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, like how do I teach a kid to ride a bike? I mean, it's just, I don't know. Uh, and you certainly don't want your kid to be the only one that doesn't ride a bike. So um, here's what we did. So what, what we did with Noah, he's our oldest. We, we took his bike, a bike just like this one. And um, we took off the pedals. We just took them off. Oh, hello. And um, then I would get my bike. And I would sit on my bike, he, he sits on his bike, and we would do a little scooting, just see if we, this gets real dangerous here, um, and we'd scoot, and after a couple times, like, he's, you know, it's kind of shaky, you know, he's putting his feet down, trying to catch himself, but after a few times, he's growing in confidence, so then we go up to the top of our driveway, which is just, you know, standard driveway, but there's usually a little bit of an incline there, a little slope. So we go to the top of the driveway, and, and we're side by side, and we start scooting down the driveway, you know, keeping our feet up, growing in confidence each time we try it. And then we start doing little competitions of who could scoot the furthest down the street, you know, down the driveway and, and onto the street. We live in a pretty quiet little street. And um, so you got confident. So what's next? Put the pedals back on, of course. So then you have the kid, you know, sit on the bike, and, and you hold it, you know, really, really tight right here, and, and you say, go, you know, pedal. And you kind of awkwardly run behind them, and, and then you, 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 at first you hold on pretty tight, and then you loosen up, and then just a couple fingers, and then you let go, and then you start screaming, Pedal, 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 pedal. Look up, look up, look straight ahead. You know, don't look to the side because then one of these happens and certainly a few times that happened. But they learned to ride a bike. It was a process. But as they got used to the bike, how it felt, balance, they grew in confidence. And now all my kids know how to ride bikes, which is, which is good. That's a parenting, parenting win. There we go. And our series kind of captures that idea of growing 
in confidence. Faith. Faith steps. Growing in confidence in God. But there's, there's actually a pretty huge disconnect between riding a bike and faith. I'm about to destroy my own illustration. Because you see, when you learn to ride a bike, you're growing in confidence in your ability. When it comes to faith steps, it's not about you. It's about growing in God's ability, His power, His strength, His wisdom, and not your own. So this morning, we're going to kick off our series, and I'm going to just kind of start things off with a definition of faith. We'll be talking about faith all summer long, and um, a real simple definition, but I think it's very, very accurate. It's simply the tagline of our series. Faith, definition is growing in confidence, growing in confidence in God. See, we're all on a journey of faith. Some of the people in this room, you've been following Jesus for like 50 years, maybe even longer, and and you've been faithful, and we celebrate that, and and we look up to that. Some of you have been following Jesus maybe just for, um, you know, five years, maybe just a few months. And still others of you haven't taken your first first faith step yet. You still have some questions. You're considering it. We'd love for you to take your first faith step, your step of faith of trusting Jesus for the very first time. But but this series applies to everyone in the room. I had this wonderful 83-year-old lady come up to me after the service. She said, you know, I'm 83, and I still have a next faith step. I love that, and she's right, and she's right. We're going to look at... um, the life of Abraham. Abraham may be a very familiar character to you, or he may not be, and that's okay. He's somewhat of a spiritual giant. He's like this faith superhero. He is a patriarch of the Old Testament, patriarch of our faith. I mean, Abraham is awesome. He is revered, respected. Abraham, man of faith, superhero, superstar, spiritual giant. So how do we relate to an Abraham. I think this morning you'll find that Abraham was just a man. He was just a man like you and I, with shortcomings and some successes along the way also. But you'll see that on his faith journey, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And the big idea that you'll see is this, that faith must be tested so that he will be trusted. That God takes us on this journey of faith to stretch our confidence in him. That's exactly what Abraham experiences um, as we look at his journey this morning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, and in a couple hours we'll be in Genesis chapter 22. So get comfortable, settle in, you know, because they're going to be here for a while. Um, It starts off Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, read it, um, follow along with me if you would. It says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then check out number, uh, ch- verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. We find here Abraham, uh, God's call on Abraham. Abraham ha- doesn't have a lot of context. He doesn't have a lot of information about who God is. He doesn't have a Bible. He lives in a deeply pagan society that worships the moon. And, but God reaches out to Abraham as a God-fearer and says, Abraham, I want you. And I'm calling you to leave your father's household, to leave your country to a land that I will show you. I will bless you. You will have personal blessings, but it's even better than that. There will be global blessings as many nations will come forth from you, Abraham. Abraham doesn't ask, well, Lord, I mean, that sounds really great. Um, What's the climate we're talking about as far as this land is concerned? And um, is there just, uh, he goes on very, very little details. And what does he do in verse 4? He passes the test, the first test, the call. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. The next few verses take Abraham on a 800-mile journey through the promised land. It's It's a journey of inspection, I guess we can call it. But another test is just around the corner. Verse 10. It says this. Here's the second test. Now there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. As Abraham continues to journey with God, it doesn't take long for his faith to be tested again, which really should be no surprise to us. Just earlier this year, we were in a series, 2020, and we studied the book of James, James chapter 1 specifically. And and you'll remember these words. I'll read them to you in verse uh, Verse 2 starting, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Our faith must be tested so that he will be trusted. Abraham's faith must be tested so he will grow in confidence. That we will know that God is working in and through us as we encounter various trials. Not if, but when. So it goes on. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. There's a problem there. Not that there was any food. God didn't call him to go to Egypt. God called him to that promised land on that 800-mile journey. So what happened? Abraham thinks to himself, there's no food. I guess we could go down to Egypt. There's food there. Man, Sarah, my wife, my goodness, you are just great-looking woman. I have picked wisely. You know, when we go down to Egypt, tell them that you're my sister. Because if they find out that I'm your husband, surely they will kill me. 
But if we tell them that you're my sister, they'll treat me well on account of you because you're amazing. And, you know, we'll figure something else out when we get there. Abraham was a schemer. He really was. So they go down to Egypt, and Pharaoh's officials take notice. There's no negotiation that takes place. There's no time to be bought for another scheme. They just simply take Sarah. This plan is not working. What happens is that Abraham does gain incredible wealth. Not just a little bit of wealth, incredible wealth. He got donkeys and camels. Can you believe it? No, that's really like saying that Pharaoh blessed him with Ferraris and Lamborghinis. It was that extent of wealth. So Abraham's probably thinking, man, this is working out. All that stuff, the, 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 the Ferraris and Lamborghinis, the servants, will cause huge problems in the years to come. The people around Pharaoh, his household, his servants, get terribly sick. It's the language of plagues, the same language that we encounter in, in Exodus. But they notice that Sarah is untouched. They put two and two together. And they find out, they discover, that's not Abraham's sister, that's his wife. They confront Abraham, and they kick him out of the country with a bunch of wealth, a bunch of servants, and he's out. But what happened? Abraham got scared. That's the bottom line. He got scared. He feared. He lost faith in God's plan. He thought he he had to take matters into his own hands and kind of help God out a little bit because clearly God was kind of losing, losing his grip on this. But before we judge Abraham too harshly, have we encountered similar situations in our own journey of following Jesus? I know that I have. Perhaps you found yourself in a situation where, I don't know, like the AC breaks at your house dishwasher like floods the kitchen the roof starts leaking I mean all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening and you think to yourself like oh man you know what I mean God totally understands he's an understanding God this month it's just not going to work out that we can you know give back to him from 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 what he's provided to us and so we'll kind of skip the offering thing he understands right where's your confidence in God, big enough to know that, yeah, humanly speaking, it, it's not looking that great. But knowing that God is all-powerful, almighty, and he will provide. Or maybe it's a, you're in a relationship. You're excited about the relationship. You want this relationship to keep going. And you're faced with a struggle of how far do we go? Will, will he still want to be with me if I don't? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, there's forgiveness, right, and all that stuff. Yes, and yes, there is. Or are you willing to simply trust God and his design and his will that he's revealed in his word? Do you have confidence that you don't have to embellish, bend the truth just a little bit to 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 fill out that application or to to kind of go for that promotion that you've been kind of eyeing 
But trust that God has your life in his hands. He will do it his way in his timing. Will you trust him? Abraham failed the second test. He failed. And I think we've been there too. Skipping ahead to Genesis chapter 15, we encounter uh, God and Abraham again. God shows up to Abraham again. And um, he speaks these words. I love what God says to Abraham right here. He says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abraham, do not be afraid. God knew exactly how to encourage Abraham. Because he struggled with fear. But Abraham responded to God. I have no children. Yet you said you were going to bless me with all the nations coming from me and all that stuff. He says, Abraham, let's go outside for a second. And God takes Abraham outside and he says, look up. Look up to the sky. Look at the stars if you can count them. That's how numerous your offspring will be. And God just reaffirms his promise, and he ups it again in the following verses. Um, he enters into a formal covenant. And then we read these words in verse 6. Check these out. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham's passing this test. God reaffirms the promise, and then Abraham responds in faith. He responds in faith. God enters into a covenant, an agreement between God and man that's sealing this promise. It's an elaborate, uh, dramatic event with, with darkness and fire as, as, God's, as Abraham is confronted with God's presence. This will mark him for the rest of his life. And surely, because of this encounter, Abraham's confidence in God, grows. Much like when we send our high schoolers to camp, they just went to camp this last week, we'll send our middle schoolers in July, we have men's retreats, women's retreats. When we encounter God's presence during those special times, what happens? We grow. But it's not just at camps and retreats. Every Sunday morning when we gather here, we are in God's presence Right now. Right now, he is growing our faith. He's growing our confidence in him. We can encounter God's presence every day as we encounter him in his word. Growing our confidence in him. Abraham didn't have that luxury. And for a good portion of the Old Testament, God's presence didn't come into the temple until much later. And he is here with us. So be here. You want to grow in your faith, be here. So he, pass, he passes this test. 
But after Genesis chapter 15, we get to Genesis chapter 16. Oh boy. This is somewhat of a hot mess. Yeah, this is bad news. This is the test of plan A versus plan B. Here's plan A. God gives a promise to Abraham. I will bless you. I will, uh, you will have a son and all the nations will be blessed through this son in my timing, in my way. Sit back and relax. I will do it. Plan B was that Sarah comes to Abraham, says, Abe, um, you're not getting any younger, fella, but um, here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Why don't you take my servant, Hagar? Why don't you marry her, sleep with her, and then raise up an heir through Hagar? Abraham thinks for a second, and he says, okay, I guess that's a good idea. And you're like, Abraham, Really? This is a good idea. Are you listening to Sarah at all? And we kind of like, we just don't get it. But then have you ever looked in the mirror? In your lapses of faith, my lapses of faith, have you ever looked at yourself and be like, what was I thinking? Are you, are you ever just appalled by some of the choices that you make in those moments of weakness? I think we've all had those moments. This is one of those moments for Abraham and Sarah. And what I see here is that your plan B is never, is never a good substitute for God's plan A. Let me say that one more time. That your plan B is never, never, ever a good substitute for God's plan A. It will not work out. Huge issues develop, as you can imagine, with the choices that were made in this chapter. It is a mess. Abraham failed the plan B test. He did. The patriarch of our faith, spiritual superhero, spiritual giant, chooses Hagar. Wow. Then we go on to chapter 17. It's been given the the sign of the covenant. Circumcision, a way that God is displaying that these are my people. He passes that test, but we're going to go on to test number five. I call this the deja vu test. And I think you'll get why that is. Turn to chapter 20, if you would, please. Starting in verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, She is my sister. What? Really? Abraham, we're going to do this again? She is my sister. And then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Deja vu. Wow. 
Abraham, what are you thinking? Have we not gone through this before? So here's what's happened. Abimelech takes Sarah. He's, he, he takes her um, and, and, and is ready to, to sleep with her. And then God says, stop, Abimelech. You touch her, you die. She's another man's wife. She's like, oh, I had no idea. Confronts Abraham. Gives him the boot. Says, get out of here. Why did you do this to me? But really what's going on here is that this is God graciously, once again, rescuing Abraham, rescuing Sarah, even in the midst of their sinful choices. Isn't that awesome? Oh, God is so gracious to us. Abraham really struggled with trusting God. Abraham struggled time and, God, time, and time again with, with telling the truth. There's probably things in our life that keep popping up again also. Maybe it's you find yourself blowing up at your wife, your kids, your whatever, your dog, in anger again. You hate being angry, but you still get angry. You know it's not right, and it's a struggle, and, and you wrestle with God. So why that keeps happening? Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's like Abraham telling the truth, being forthright and honest with the people around you, bending the truth. Maybe it's lust, and you think, you know what? I, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a guy. I'm a dude. That's what dudes do. And God says, no, it's not. Here's my design. Here's my will. And even then, God is so, so gracious to us, rescuing us in our moments of weakness, rescuing us when we've blown it, when we burst in anger again. He's ready to welcome us back time and time again. God is so gracious. Then we get to Genesis 21. And Isaac is finally born, like plan A actually worked. Yes, God did his thing in his timing, in his way. And then finally, Isaac is born, the promised child. He's here. It's awesome. And then he grows up. He becomes you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, somewhere along those lines. Abraham's been journeying with God throughout his lifetime, bumps along the way. But ultimately, um, his faith has been tested. And, but also his confidence is growing and growing in who God is, who he says he is, what he says he's going to do. It's growing. Then we, then we get to Genesis chapter 22. It's not another test. This is the final exam. This is the final exam. We're about to witness something incredible. If you're familiar with the story, don't let your mind jump ahead. Don't lose the impact of what Abraham is experiencing in, in these next few moments. It starts off like this in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. 
Even the author of these words is alerting to readers. By the way, what's about to go down, it's a test. It's not for realsies. It's a test. God is testing Abraham, but Abraham does not know this. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Wow. God, are you serious? My son, Isaac. This kid is incredible. I love this kid. But then we read the next verse. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He's following through. Stage one, he passes flying colors. Loads the donkey with the wood, gets the fire ready, gets a couple servants, and they're going to go on a couple days' journey together. After a few days, he, he calls out to his servants, why don't you guys wait here? And then we pick it up again. Um, he says in verse 5, stay here with the donkey while I, am at, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you catch it? Did you see confidence there? I didn't catch it at first. And then I saw it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. That's incredible. Abraham, are you sure you don't want to like figure out an alternate plan, like plan B? Remember that? No. We will come back to you. I trust God. They go on, Isaac and Abe. And Isaac's asked, Dad, got the wood, got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham wishes he would never have asked that question, but he's going to have to answer it. In verse 8, incredible words. Incredible words. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Where's the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? God himself will provide the burnt offering, my son. That's incredible. What a statement of confidence, of trust. And it wasn't trust in himself, was it? It was confidence in God. Isaac is stronger, faster than old Abraham. Abraham's like ancient at this point. Isaac's probably 10, 12 years old. But somehow Abraham communicates to Isaac. Isaac, I've been given a command by God. This is what it is. But I've also been given a promise by that same God. And I believe both. I'm going to follow, we're going to do this. But I know that God has a plan. I don't have a plan this time around. But God has a plan. He's doing something, Isaac. I don't know what it is. And Isaac gets it. He lays down, gets bound, 
Sacrifice is all set up. Abram's trembling inside. Sacrificing your kid. He raises the knife. Tears streaming down his face. He trusts God, but he's not sure what's going to happen. He trusts God. Right about, right before he's about to plunge that knife in his throat. God says, stop. Stop right there, Abraham. I know, I know now that you revere me, that you fear me, that you trust me. Your confidence is right where it should be, Abraham. It's with me. And Abraham looks over and he sees a lamb, a ram, and God provided the burnt offering. What an amazing story. What an amazing journey that we can see in Abraham's life from, from a pretty rocky start and, and all kinds of crazy mistakes to now on this final exam to say, we will return. God will provide. Isaac, I don't know how, but I'm going to need you to lay down because I've been given a command, but I also know I've been given a promise. What an incredible faith journey. How should we respond this morning? What's the next step? Every single person in this room, including 83-year-old ladies, have a next step. Even uh, if you've been following Jesus just, just, just forever and ever, what's your next step? I'm going to throw out three suggestions. And there's probably more options than that. Number one, is there a command? Is there a command that God has clearly given us in his, in his word given us instructions on how to follow him, how to live our lives in accordance with his will as it relates to our families, our business practices, our friendships, our relationships, all of it. Is there a command that you've been kind of wrestling God on? God, I'm not sure if I can trust you on this. I want to do it my way. This morning, would you take a next step? The next step of obedience. It's not an easy step at all. But the next step might be obedience for you. Still for others in this room, is there a promise? Is there a promise in God's word right here that you need to believe, that you need to trust in a new and fresh way? Promises to provide, promises to heal, promises to comfort, promises of his presence to always be with you. Is there a promise in this Bible that God has spoken that you need to trust because you know he is good for it? Are you struggling with fear? He wants to give you his peace because he says so in his word. Is there a command you need to obey? Is there a promise you need to trust? And for still others in, in this room, you still need to take your first step of faith. Trusting God for the very first time. Recognizing that A, admitting that you are a sinner, which basically means you're part of the human race, but it's still a very big deal. Sin is a big deal to God. 
But you believe, B, that Jesus died for that sin, offering you forgiveness, because he died in your place. But then he rose again, proving that he was absolutely victorious over sin and death, and offering you eternal life. And C, to choose to follow him. To follow him in obedience. The path is not easy, I'm not going to lie to you. But it is the, it's an amazing life of trusting Jesus. It's an amazing journey. That none of us would trade for anything in this world if you're a Christ follower. Would you respond in faith this morning? And you can do that as we, as we pray together. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and gracious to us, even when we fail. Lord, we're all on a spiritual journey. But I, I pray for those in this room that haven't taken their first step yet towards you. Their first step to trusting that you send your son to die on the cross. Lord Jesus, I pray that right now, even in their seats, they would admit they're sinners, as we all are to believe that Jesus died for that sin and to choose to follow you on an incredible journey. And look for the rest of us. I pray for boldness, for confidence in God, knowing that what you've commanded is worth obeying, that what you've promised can be trusted. Lord Jesus, grow us in confidence. Not in ourselves, but in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.